Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for tuning in. I am so glad to share these next few minutes with you today. I want you to find victory and life in Jesus Christ. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say that we're learning how to live as God's people by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. I want to encourage you to look us up on the web at Valley View Friends Church. You can look us up on Facebook as well. You can get these podcasts there and share them. One note before we get too far here is about next week's podcast uh, for April 30th, 2023, if you're listening to this far into the future. But April 30th, 2023, next Sunday, we will not have a posting for the podcast. We have a, a guest speaker at the church, and we just still don't have a way of live recording that yet. So uh, there will not be a podcast, but there will be the following week, the first week of May. So let's turn our attention to this week's message. Well, here's how the story goes. It was advertised that the devil was putting up for sale all of his tools. On the date the tools were laid out, uh, the, the date of the sale, he laid them out and they had prices marked on them for public inspection and there were a lot of treacherous instruments for sale. There was hatred and envy and jealousy and deceit and pride and lying and so on, all these different tools that the devil used. But laid apart from the rest was a different tool. It was worn more than any of the others, and there was price much higher than all the others. What's the name of this tool? asked one of the customers. That, the devil replied, is discouragement. Why have you priced it so high? Because discouragement is more useful to me than all the others. I can pry open and get inside a person's heart with that when I cannot get near them with any of the other tools. It's badly worn because I use it on almost everyone since so few people know that it belongs to me. Discouragement is a very powerful tool, and it's an emotion that I am sure you have felt, I know I have felt, and in the story we read today, the disciples, the characters of the story, they were feeling discouragement. They were wrestling with it. I want to take us back to an Easter story this week, to the two disciples walking on the road to the town of Emmaus. These two disciples experienced the incredible ministry of Jesus, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but then they were jarred by his arrest and even uh, his arrest and the crucifixion, and then they heard reports of the tomb being empty. They didn't know what to do. They weren't sure what to think of all of this. They were torn between two worlds. The first world told a story they knew very well. They had lived their whole lives there. It was a story where Roman soldiers occupied their home and the priests kept Israel under their thumb. It was a world where the powerful seemed to win and those who were small were taken advantage of. And it was a world where there was pain and suffering and disappointment and discouragement. They were used to things not turning out the way they expected. And that's the world we all live in today. But now, on the very first Easter, they were confronted by another world, one in which God has told a new story. And this story was Jesus risen from the dead, conquering death. It was a story where Jesus had won victory by submitting to the cross. But this new story didn't fit with the old story that the disciples knew already. It was a story that was hard to understand, and understandably so. 
It was also a story that was uh, full of hope and promise, if these two disciples would just enter into it. So the text I want to read you today is one in which these two disciples must decide that even though they live in a world that screams the story of discouragement and disappointment and loss, they are invited to enter God's new story of hope and everlasting life. And that's the idea I need you to hear, that the Christian has the hope of Jesus no matter what the story is that they find themselves in. Where do you find yourself today? You might find yourself in a very discouraging position. And I'm not going to just erase whatever it is that's discouraging you. But we have the promise of heaven and the promise of Jesus and the promise of life everlasting if we would just believe. And God is inviting you to grab a hold of that story, even when the one you're in right now is one of discouragement. Let's go ahead and read the text. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. It's verses 13 through 35. And here we go with verse 13. Now the same day, meaning Easter, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything, everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, and their faces were downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those who with them assembled together, and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus recognized, was recognized by them when he broke the bread. That ends our story. 
This is a story that shifts dramatically from discouragement to celebration, from confusion to revelation, from sorrow to joy. These two disciples, they exit the frustrating, grudging, and oppressive story of the world that they've always known, and they choose to enter into God's story. The text begins with two disciples that we've never met before. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're heading for a small town, Emmaus. We don't know where Emmaus is, and and Luke is the only gospel that tells this story. We eventually get the name of one of the disciples, Cleopas. The other disciple remains unknown. And so, that, as with anything that's unnamed in the Bible, people make guesses. And so, some New Testament scholars speculate that this would have been Luke himself, not wanting to give his own name and maybe give himself credit where he didn't want it. Uh, even possibly, um, some scholars have said maybe the two disciples were actually husband and wife. Um, it just simply could be two guys traveling on the road. We don't know. But regardless of who they were, this is an account of two disciples who are heartbroken, and they don't know what to make of the crucifixion, and they don't know what to make of the reports of the resurrection. They're discouraged, and they're walking away. And that's something that we need to see in this story. Beware of an Emmaus escape. These two disciples are walking on the road out of Jerusalem on the evening of Easter. We don't know where Emmaus is located. The Greek text gives a measurement uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus as 60 stadia, which is what I read today, about seven miles. We do not know whether this is seven miles north, south, east, or west. Some scholars want to think of Emmaus as west, as They kind of think, you know, these two disciples didn't recognize Jesus. Maybe they were walking into the setting sun and the bright light of the setting sun was blinding them. I don't think the setting sun had so much of them not seeing and recognizing Jesus. But what we do need to see is that these two disciples did not stay with the rest of Jesus' followers in Jerusalem. Emmaus might have been their home, might not have been. Emmaus might have just been the first stop on a longer journey. But no matter how we look at it, Emmaus is an escape. It was response to the crucifixion of Jesus and the rumors of his resurrection. These two disciples, they don't know what to make of the news, so much so that they leave Jerusalem and they're arguing on the road. They're just not sure what to do, so they want to get away. And I said arguing And I know the text I read earlier, the NIV, tells us that they were talking and discussing, but the Greek language there indicates that this was a heated debate. There was fire in it. They were arguing, perhaps uh, even yelling at each other a little bit. And again, this would display their distress and desire to kind of get out of this situation. They don't know what to do. They're overwhelmed. So they leave Jerusalem for Emmaus. It's an escape. It's an attempt to put some distance between themselves and what happened in Jerusalem. And I think it's fair to say that each one of us has some sort of habit or something we do or a place we go that maybe we don't call it this, but it's an Emmaus escape. When life gets frustrating, when it gets confusing, overwhelming, discouraging, what do you do? Think about that for a moment. What do you do? Because we all have something we do, a retreat we make. Maybe we, uh, maybe for many of us, it's a constructive habit. We'd go to a trusted friend or family member or a parent that you can talk to. Many people have a place they go, a favorite hiking trail, a spot at the park, uh, 
a fishing hole, a place where you can watch the sunset, or a room at home that's quieter than the rest. For some of us, it's a hobby that we do, or a sport we play, or some other activity. We, when we get stressed, we go and we take a break. And that's good for a time, but the problem is when you choose to stay there and avoid. Because sometimes our Emmaus escape is not so good for us. Sometimes the thing you do when you're worried and stressed is something that's just downright unhealthy for you. It's dangerous. Some people retreat into alcohol, into drugs, into an addiction. Regardless of what you do, whether it's bad or good, no habit is good if it's only used to hide and avoid that which is troubling you. Getting a break is one thing. Putting space between you and your problem to gain perspective is good. Gaining needed device, advice is good. Avoiding, hiding, putting off, those are not good. Dangerous even. I cannot tell you for sure what these disciples were doing. But my guess is this. With each step further that they went down the road, meant that more and more they were likely to keep avoiding what happened in Jerusalem. As long as the disciples walked on the road and stayed in Emmaus, or maybe they would go further, they bought into the old story. Things went wrong, and that's how it is. And they would be less and less able to receive the new story that God was offering them. So beware. What's your Emmaus escape? What do you do when you face tough times? It's okay to take a break, but don't hide. Don't avoid. Eventually, you've got to deal with what you're struggling with. Fortunately, in this story, Jesus goes after these two disciples. And that's another truth we need to see is don't give up on God's story when you have trouble seeing. That, that's the choice these two disciples have to make. Don't give up on God's story when you have trouble seeing how it's going to turn out. I've been reading a lot of the writings of Eugene Peterson lately. He was convinced of many things about our culture, about how uh, commercialized we are as Christians here in America. Uh, and he was also very convinced about the job of the pastor. And he boiled it down to one simple thing, and I, I, I really believe that he's right, that the job of the pastor is to keep people looking at God. Because our world is full of distraction, often by very good things. But it's incredibly human to put our focus on what we can accomplish, on what we can control, what we can understand. And God is certainly, really, actually none of those things. He's beyond our comprehension. He cannot be controlled by us. And we can't do things to make God more manageable. These two disciples, two disciples were confronted by the disappointment of their hopes and dreams. They thought that Jesus was the Messiah come to set them free from Rome. They thought Jesus would return Israel to a place of power over all the world. They, and just as they thought those dreams were coming true, Jesus was arrested, he was executed, and he was buried in the ground. And in that moment, it's hard to see what God is doing. And so then it's hard to want to keep looking for what God is doing and believing that what he's doing is good. Perhaps you're in a similar moment. Maybe you're in a conflict with a loved one, or work is falling apart, or cancer is happening. 
Perhaps the news of our times feels overwhelming, and it's hard to see how God is at work, because you hear about another shooting, another riot, a continuing war. How do we see God with so much suffering all around us? Eugene Peterson gives a little tip to this, and I think we need to remember it. He says, the Christian lives this way. We see what our world looks like, what it's really like, how it's fallen. We know this fallen story, but we Christians believe something else in spite of what we see. We believe in the hope of Jesus Christ. We see the world for what it is, and then we believe a different story. And that's what the disciples are about to encounter here, the hope of Jesus Christ, that he is risen, that the story is different now. So the text tells us these two are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. The journey's seven miles long. It's not a short one. And as they walk, they're discussing the events they've just witnessed. They're trying to make sense of things. How, what are we supposed to see here? And then Jesus appears. I don't know from the text if he just materialized on the roadway and walked up to them, or if he'd been walking for a long time and just overtook them. Certainly, the supernatural is at work in Jesus' arrival. And this is when we're given a very curious detail. They were kept from recognizing Jesus. The implication is, is that, yes, God is preventing that recognition. I can't tell you why. And we're not given a reason why. And this isn't even the only place it happens where the people who are close to Jesus cannot recognize him. You can go to John chapter 20, verse 14, and read about Mary Magdalene at the tomb. And as she turns and faces Jesus, she doesn't recognize him. She just thinks he's the gardener. And there in John chapter 20, same chapter, or 21, verse 4, you have Peter. And the disciples, they've gone back to fishing, and they don't recognize Jesus on the shoreline. Perhaps Peter's doing his own Emmaus escape, gone back to the boats, gone back to the nets. I don't know what to do. But when he looks and sees Jesus standing on the shoreline, he can't recognize him. God is somehow, or not somehow, but for some reason, preventing these from recognizing Jesus. But I would also suggest that Mary there in the garden and Peter on the boats and these two disciples on the way to Emmaus were all at a point of decision. They were trying to figure out, do I reject the story of the world that I've always known, how things just go bad, or do I believe God's story about the hope of heaven and the hope of Christ? So the two disciples, they can't recognize Jesus as he joins them. And he walks with them. He travels with them. And I think that's a good reminder that Jesus walks with us, even when we cannot see him or feel him. He's there. And one of the great comical moments of the Bible, we are finally introduced to Cleopas by name. Find out who one of these two disciples is. And he responds in a way <laughs> that I, I picture him being very flabbergasted and frustrated with this mysterious traveler. You've got to be the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened there. And that's the comedy of the moment because Jesus, that he's talking to but can't recognize, knows more than anyone else 
the events of his own crucifixion and resurrection. But Cleopas just thinks, this guy doesn't know anything. How, how can you be the only one? Well, Jesus is the only one who truly knows what happened and why it happened. Again, more than we know, we have moments when we declare, how come no one understands me? How come you can't see what I'm going through? We, we say, I, can't anyone help? And Jesus is right there in that moment, and he knows more than anyone else what you're going through. The question is, is will you invite him in? Will you put your trust in him? And perhaps in inviting Jesus in, part of that is you got to let go of your own ego. And Cleopas was showing a little bit of ego. Come on, you got to be the only guy that doesn't know. How foolish he was to say those words. And Jesus points out the foolishness of these two disciples in verse 25. No one likes to be called foolish, and yet we have to own our mistakes if we're going to move past them. When you're overwhelmed, please invite Jesus in. Whether you've never trusted Jesus before, or whether you've been following him your whole life, invite him in. There's a lot that could be said about the interaction between these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and Jesus. I want to simply point out that even in all their grief and uncertainty, they are open to inviting Jesus in their life. And I'm not even sure they're, they're entirely aware of what they're doing at first. I even think it starts that invitation for Jesus starts with their arguing over what happened in Jerusalem when they're discussing on the road to Emmaus. They're at least willing to express their doubts and their frustrations and have an argument. Hey, what do you think happened? I don't know what happened. Let's talk about this. You know, there's a lot of people that face the hardships of life with just silence. They take the attitude of, we're not going to speak about this. We're going to ignore it. It'll go away. We'll tough through it. But you know what? It never goes away. Even a willingness to argue about the situation is a situa- it's an invitation to deal with it. And I would say even a willingness to argue about Jesus, if you do it honestly, that's an invitation to begin letting him in because you're at least willing to discuss and hear sides. At another level, Cleopas, in his description of Jesus, as he tells this mysterious traveler about Jesus in Jerusalem and what all had happened, even though he's expressing his disappointment, he also is expressing in verse 21, when he describes Jesus as the Messiah and all that had happened, he says, we had hoped it would be more. It is an express for hope, I think, from Cleopas, is an invitation for God to show up. The last invitation you really read about in the passage, well, there's two more. The two disciples invite Jesus in as they listen to his teaching from the word. They could have said, man, you just called us fools. We're not going to listen to you all the way to Emmaus. But no, they decide to listen to him teach from the word everything about who Jesus is. One of the greatest ways you can invite Jesus into your hardships and your struggles is to search his word, not just cherry pick what you want out of the Bible, but to systematically go through the word. Did you wish you could have listened into that Bible study on the Emmaus Road? 
I imagine Jesus pointed out things we still haven't found in the Old Testament that testify to him. And then comes that last great invitation. The two disciples, they reach their destination in Emmaus. Jesus motions that he's going to keep on walking, but they invite him to stay with them. They don't recognize him yet, but their hearts are open. They say, come on in. When you're hurting and unsure what to do, know that Jesus is right there with you. He's waiting for an invitation to enter your life and your situation. You can start small if you need to. Little invitation, one step at a time. But open up more and more for Jesus. Finally, we get to the moment where these two disciples recognize Jesus. They share a meal. Jesus blesses the meal. He breaks the bread. He passes it out to them. And some speculate that the disciples would have thought this similar to the Last Supper, but it's not likely that these two unnamed guys uh, would have been there at the Last Supper. It's not a communion moment. Some wonder if they perhaps recognized Jesus from the feeding of the 5,000 when he blessed and he broke the bread and passed it out and it just kept growing to feed all who had need. Others wonder when Jesus prayed over the bread and broke it, if this is the first time these two disciples could finally see Jesus' hands and thus the nail marks. Possibly. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Me, I think the disciples have finally fully invited the stranger in. They invited him to stay. They shared a meal with him. And Jesus has finally fully revealed himself to them. And what a moment this is. You can just feel the electricity of it as you read the story. So powerful it is that after Jesus vanishes from their sight, these two get up and they immediately return to Jerusalem. Another seven-mile walk. I suspect not a walk they did, but a run. After dark, when it's most dangerous to Jerusalem. But what danger could there be in the dark when you've seen the risen Jesus and you know that he can handle it? That's the story we're invited into. No matter what this world throws at us, the real power is in the risen Christ, and we are of his kingdom now. One last word. I love Frederick Buchner's take on the moment when the disciples recognized Jesus, and he writes these words. He disappeared from their sight, but he remained in their hearts. It might be hard to see Jesus in whatever it is you're walking through right now, but he is with you. Will you let him into your heart and remain with you? He may not be in your sight, but he's in your heart. Will you let him? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-6 through say this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. We have the hope of Christ. Will you trust it? Will you put your trust in him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, stay with us and be our companion in the way of life. Kindle our hearts and awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in Scripture and the breaking of bread. 
grant this for the sake of your love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.